What is up, everybody? Welcome to another episode on the Christian Constitutionalist Podcast. Today's title is The History of the ATF and What They Are Now. The ATF is one of the bureaus that should have never formed. They are unconstitutional and they infringe upon our 2A rights. The first point I would like to make and emphasize is the history. How did they form? The, the article I'll be reading is from The Truth About Guns. They titled it, The Who, What, When, Why, and How of the ATF. I'm only going to read some paragraphs here. I don't, um, like I told y'all, 30 minutes max is all I have. So please do your own research and build upon the information that I provide. And remember, do your research on DuckDuckGo. Do not do it on censored Google. Let's begin. The ATF began way back in the day in 1896 as the Revenue Laboratory of the Treasury Department's Bureau of Internal Revenue. By 1920, they were focused on collections for revenues from the taxation of alcoholic beverages and became known as a Bureau of Prohibition. When the 18th Amendment prohibition went into effect in 1919 and was made an independent agency within the Treasury Department in 1930. For a brief time in 1933, they went from Treasury to Justice and became a division of the FBI. In December of 1933, when the Volstead Act was repealed, they were sent from Justice. Uh, back to Treasury to become the alcohol tax unit of the Bureau of Internal Revenue. Remember the Untouchables and Elliot Ness? They were a part of the Prohibition Bureau and subsequently made the switch to the ATU. Their beat was limited to illegal liquor, but they added enforcement of federal firearm laws to their responsibilities in 1942. Fast forward to the 1950s. The Bureau of Internal Revenue was reincarnated as the Internal Revenue Service, as if that name wasn't going to make it any more pleasant to deal with, and the ATU added enforcement of tobacco tax laws to the repertoire. Along with the new responsibilities came a new name, Exit Alcohol Tax Unit, Enter Alcohol and Tobacco Tax Division, the ATTD. In 1968, Congress passed the Gun Control Act, and the ATTD became known as the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms Division of the IRS. In 1970, Congress enacted the Explosives Control Act and gave the Secretary of the, of the Treasury responsibilities for regulation, which they delegated to what was known as the ATF. On July 4th, I'm sorry, on July 1st, 1972, the ATF became a separate division within the Treasury Department, and all the former responsibilities of the IRS division were transferred to the new Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. The ATF focus, the ATF focus was redirected toward federal firearm, uh, firearms law violations, violent crime, and explosive laws while retaining their responsibilities to run herd on alcohol and tobacco tax issues. That all changed after 9-11. 
The Homeland Security Act of 2002 created the Department of Homeland Security, transferring the reporting structure of the ATF from Treasury to the Department of Justice. The added and explosives to the ATF moniker, but still refer to the agency as the ATF, although we hear BATF and BATFE on occasion as well. Interestingly, in 2003, the responsibilities for alcohol and tobacco tax collections and issues revolving around alcohol production, i.e. illegal steals, was transferred to the brand Spankin' New Tobacco Tax and Trad Bureau, a unit of the Treasury Department. So in effect, the ATF no longer had much to do with alcohol or tobacco. They do handle cigarette smuggling cases, but it's evidently kind of sideline, kind of a sideline thing with them. But brother, they are all over that firearms and explosive things. Let me tell you. Along the way, the ATF has been on the bleeding edge of a number of high-profile cases that have made them the poster children for those who throw terms around like jack-booted thugs to wit. There's a little bit more that you can read, but that's what I'm going to stop right there. So obviously they've been around for quite some time. They should have never, ever been formed. Okay? I'm going to repeat just a sentence um, from one of the paragraphs. They added enforcement of federal firearm laws to their responsibilities in 1942. Holy son of a gun. This has been going on for a long time. So, now that we've got the history um, kind of down pat and we kind of get an idea of how long they've been around, Let's look into what they are today. This is by GunsAndPride.com. It's official. The title is, It's official. ATF finalizes and publishes Ghost Gun Rule. Again, uh, uh, this may be short enough for me to read, but there's a section here that has about 98 pages of what the NR, uh, the ATF has put out regarding um, their uh, new infringement on our rights, okay? But I, I'm not going to read all 98. I'm just going to read the paragraphs that they provide, and then you can go back and do your research and read all 90, 98 pages if you please. Let's read. The Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, ATF, has officially published this new rule redefining the term firearm and banning so-called ghost gun kits. Implement, uh, implementation of the rule will begin in 120 days, and in the meantime, expect to see multiple lawsuits from gun rights groups asking the courts to strike down the rule on constitutional grounds. The final rule doesn't depart in any serious way from the original rule the ATF proposed in May of last year. Despite receiving hundreds of thousands of comments from concerned gun owners who opposed the rule, the agency plowed ahead at the behest of the Biden administration to unilaterally redefine firearm under federal law. The effect of the rule on build-it-yourself gun kits has just, uh, justifiably received the most attention. The rule singles out products that allow an unfinished frame or receive to be readily converted into a functioning 
firearm component and states that these products are now considered firearms under federal law. This new rule doesn't, make, doesn't ban homemade gun kits, but it does subject these kits to the same regulations and background checks uh, requirements as other firearms. The agency, the, uh, the agency says it won't necessarily consider as firearms all unfinished frames or receivers, which could still allow the purchase of certain so-called 80% receivers. But if those receivers ship with dimples or jigs to assist in the machining process, that gun kit will be subject to all rules and regulations governing functioning firearms. ATF has maintained and continues to maintain that a partially complete frame or receiver alone is not a frame or receiver if it still requires performance of certain uh, machining operations, e.g. milling out the fire control cavity of an AR-15 billet or blank or indexing for that operation, because it may not readily be completed to house or hold the applicable fire control components, the agency said in the rule. However, a partially complete billet or blank of a flame of a frame or receiver is a frame or receiver when it is sold, distributed, or uh, uh, possessed with a compatible jig or template, allowing a person using online instructions and common hand tools to complete the frame or receiver efficiently, quickly, and easily to function as a frame or receiver, the ATF clarifies. The rule def redefines a handgun frame as the housing or structure for the primary energized component designed to hold back the hammer, striker, bolt, or similar component prior to initiation of the firing sequence, i.e. sear or equivalent. It also redefines rifle, receiver, as the housing or structure for the primary component designed to block or seal the breach prior to initiation of the firing sequence, i.e. bolt, breech block, or equivalent. The agency is shutting down one of the primary ways law-abiding gun owners have been able to build firearms without the government's knowledge or say-so. But another, pro another provision that has received far less media attention, the ATF is making sure that the records of those gun sales never go away. Prior to this new gun rule, gun sellers were allowed to dispose of firearm transactions records after 20 years. Now, they're no longer allowed to destroy those records ever and what what happens when a gun stores when a gun store goes out of business as we covered previously those records listen closely people are sent to the atf which scans them into an electronic database the agency insists isn't really a gun registry it's still legal to make guns at home but this new rule makes it more difficult and it sets up future generations for a day when the federal government possesses a record of every gun transaction in all 50 states to read the rule for yourself including the atf's response to the comments it received see below and that's the 98 pages wow people i've been saying this for a long time the atf is unconstitutional how did, let's think about this for a second when did the government start expanding Really think about that. When did they really start expanding and creating all these different uh, bureaus? It seems to me 
that the American people for well over a hundred years has become complacent, reliant, and compliant, and that's why the government has gotten away with what they've gotten away with. This is astonishing. But let me tell you something. This is all part of the globalist plan. They want to track everybody who has something that they can use against the government. I believe Chip Roy was a representative who said something along the lines recently that the left wants to take away the law-abiding citizens' firearms because uh, they plan to do something that will get them shot. You can look up his exact quote, but that's something along the lines of what he said. And it's true. They're using the instance in uh, Uvalde in um, New York. And and they use Chicago all the time. California. They use all these states and all these um, horrific and tragic uh, uh, incidences to push their agenda do they not they uh, like i've said before people they never ever let a pandemic or a tragedy um spoil they never they never let it spoil they always take the tragic incident no matter what it is um they always take advantage of it and they use evil people to push their agenda. We have got to stand solid on the Constitution. I've been saying for a long time, people, me having to get a license to carry my weapon and to protect myself, that is unconstitutional, and it's a it's a crying shame that we've gotten this far down in our country. It's a shame that we've stooped this low in our country. We cannot allow the ATF and the government to continue to invade our privacy and attract where our weapons are in our homes. This must come to an end. We must abolish the ATF. Honestly, we should abolish the FBI and the CIA. They have used their resources to spy and infringe upon the rights of we the people it must come to an end but it only comes to an end when we step up and we repeat 1776 it's all up to us it's all up to us let's see how much time i have oh okay i got a little bit of time i want to read one more um uh article and this is by ammo.com talking about background checks and then I have some comments after this and then you know the information is yours to do and to apply however you please again this is by ammo.com the title is gun background checks how the state came to decide who can and cannot buy a firearm can't read everything in this so hopefully I can take the the important information you know 
in these last few minutes, and then you can read it for yourself. It says, prior to 1968, most adults in the United States could purchase a firearm without state interference. Guns were available in local retail stores, as well as mail-order catalogs, and as long as you hadn't been convicted of a felony and you had the funds, there weren't any questions asked. Things are different now. Depending on where you where you depending on where in America you are and what type of gun you want to buy, there's a good chance you'll need to pass an NICS mandated background check to complete your purchase. Although many people hold a strong opinion for and against gun background checks, they're proven to be an uh, integral part of the state's gun control apparatus, and they don't appear to be leaving anytime soon. Since background checks are such a requirement for today's gun enthusiasts, it's important for gun owners and those who may someday be gun owners to understand everything they can, including how the current system works and how it came to be. History of gun, back, uh, gun background checks in the U.S. The history of gun back, uh, background checks for gun purchases reaches back to the first restrictions placed on individuals trying to purchase firearms. Here in the U.S., this occurred after the Civil War when several southern states adopted black codes, which replaced the prior slave codes and worked to suppress the freedoms of black Americans. Among other restrictions, the black codes forbade African Americans from owning firearms. The Federal Firearms Act of 1938 began restricting the sales of firearms, requiring those in the business of selling firearms to purchase a federal firearms license, FFL, and maintain a list of persons who purchase firearms, including their name and address. The Firearms Act of 1938 also listed convicted felons as the first prohibited persons who are not allowed by law to own or purchase, uh, purchase or possess firearms. And then something happened that would forever change American history. Six days before Thanksgiving on November 22, 1963, President John F. Kennedy was assassinated by Lee Harvey Oswald in Dallas using a Manlicker Carcano rifle. Apologize if I said that wrong. Not familiar with that rifle. That was chambered in 6.5 by 52 uh, Carcano and fitted with a telescope uh, sight, which he purchased from a mail order catalog. The 1963 Kennedy assassination was followed by additional high-profile assassinations over the next five years. It mentions Malcolm X, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. It mentions um, uh, two months after King's assassination in Memphis, Democratic presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy, JFK's younger brother, was assassinated. Um Mentions, you know, different uh, examples of people who were assassinated. And then it goes into the National Instant Criminal Background Check System. Uh, the NICS was mandated by Brady Handgun, by the Brady Handgun Violence Prevention Act of 1993. and was launched by the FBI on November 30th, 1998. The NICS is used by FFLs to check the eligibility of those who wish to purchase firearms. Located at the FBI's criminal um, Justice Information Service Division in Clarksburg, West Virginia. The NICS is currently used by 30 states and five districts, as well as the District of Columbia, to check the backgrounds of those who will purchase, who who wish to purchase firearms. 
These states that opt not to use the NICS have their own point of contact, POC, to complete background checks. The NICS applies a person's identifying characteristics, including name and date of birth, to its uh, own index, as well as the National Crime Information Center, NCIC, database and the Interstate uh, Identification Index. These systems compare the intended purchaser's demographic information against the national databases to see if they match someone deemed (laughs) a prohibited person. Prohibited persons include those who are or were convicted of a crime punishable by imprisonment for a year or more, fugitives from justice, a user of or addicted to a controlled substance, Um, illegal aliens, Aliens admitted to the U.S. under a non-immigrant visa. Discharged from the U.S. Armed Forces under dishonorable discharge uh, conditions. Renounced their citizenship to the U.S. Subject to a court under to a court order that restrains their interactions with an intimate partner or child, and then convicted of domestic violence. Since its conception. NICS has completed over 300 million background checks and has issued more than 1.3 million denials. The NICS is available 17 hours a day, 7 days a week, except for Christmas Day. Now, next section is, next section is how do background checks work and everything. But I'm just going to leave that information right there. You know, it's a shame that they started restricting it after the Civil War uh, against those who are black. Um, I got to do a little bit more research on that one, I'll be honest. But, you know, uh, last time I checked, the uh, NRA is actually the organization that helped fund, you know, black Americans in order to help defend themselves against, you know, those who try to oppress them. Of course, they're not going to mention that, though. But, um, that's something that y'all can study on yourselves, um, and I may even do an episode on it later. But do y'all see how unconstitutional this is? You know, I get that people want to try to restrict those who have, you know, done evil in the past and, you know, are felons or are felons and all that stuff. I get it. Whatever. I'm going to tell you something, and I want everybody to listen to me closely. When you put restrictions on our Second Amendment rights, you are restricting the Americans who are compliant with the government. I don't want to say law-abiding. Law-abiding is... is that, that's... The, 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 a more accurate word is compliant Americans. You know, it's a crying shame that we've been so compliant with all these unconstitutional laws that have been passed. When you put gun restrictions on compliant Americans, okay, you are enabling criminals. Over the past few years, marijuana, weed, has been legalized in several states, has it not? Let me tell you what that does. It puts the drug lords out of business. Why? Because it's fair game. 
And now, now there's a, uh, now the playing field is leveled, is it not? When you restrict those um, compliant Americans from building their own firearm, when you enforce background checks, when you put serial numbers on the weapons to identify who the owner is of that weapon and, 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 and are able to track that weapon, where it is, and in, in some states, you have to put down where it's exactly going to be at in your home. You are infringing upon our rights. Any, any restrictions on our Second Amendment rights is an infringement. It is. I'm going to tell you this. And I want everybody to hear me out and listen to the whole thing before jumping to a conclusion. Hear me closely. Arm the sex traffickers. Arm the drug smugglers. Arm the criminals. Arm the felons. Arm those who have mental problems. Arm them all. Allow them to get arms. You know why? Levels the playing field. Criminals are always going to do whatever it takes to get their hands on firearms. As everybody has heard, the black market is one way a lot of people get their hands on firearms. The criminal will never abide by the law. All these restrictions do are infringe upon our Second Amendment rights. And if y'all saw and heard through the articles that I provided, what happened after the assassination of John F. Kennedy? Many more assassinations happened. But guess what they did? Right after that, they infringed upon our rights right then and there. More and more. The ATF was empowered. The federal government was empowered. Why? How? What did I say earlier? The left never, never allows a tragic incident to spoil. They always take advantage of a tragedy. We need to know this and we need to be able to fight against it. Remember, people, in this country, it is not proven, it's not innocent until proven guilty. It is guilty until proven innocent. The only way we take back our God given rights and become constitutional again is if, one, we know the Constitution ourselves and we rightfully apply it and we know our God given rights and the, and the power that the founding fathers bestowed on we the people, not the government. Let me tell you this, the more they restrict us, the more the, the tyrants are empowered. The tyrants have been doing this this whole time. This has been part of their plan. And do you see how patient they've been? Insanity. Insanity. The only way this changes is if we repeat 1776. We must gain our independence from tyrants 
once again. If y'all saw on Instagram and on other social media platforms, the shirt I had made for myself. It's one of my Christian constitutionalist uh, shirts. It says, repeat, 1776. You want to know what that means? I'll tell you. How did we gain independence in 1776? How did we get there? Because we fought against tyrants with what? Weapons. Not only did we fight against them, we killed them. We sent them to hell. Tyrants need to be sent to hell, not to prison. They empower our enemies. They empower the cartels. They empower the MS-13. They empower criminals roaming our streets. They empower illegal aliens. They do not empower we, the people. Second paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. We have an obligation to alter or abolish the U.S. government and to rebuild the government on the original principles in its context, the Constitution. It's all up to us whether this country falls or if it rebuilds back up and make America great again will never happen unless we get back to biblical principles and rightfully applying the Constitution in its context. Know your enemy, people. Know your enemy. Please do your research on this. We have a country to save. Time's running out. What will you do?